0: Well good morning and today we're going to keep walking as the title to our series implies through the book of Ephesians as we are continuing to walk in Christ uh, together and we're going to turn our attention today to walking in purity from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 32. Now in verses 25 through 32 of this scripture passage Paul gives us a list of behaviors that he tells the Ephesians and subsequently that God is revealing to us that we should be practicing and here's the thing on the surface this list is nothing really particularly remarkable there's not a whole lot necessarily that just really jumps out to you uh, about this list matter of fact in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 through 32 he says things like in verse 25 you ought to tell the truth in verse 26, don't lose your temper. In verse 28, don't steal, get a job. In verse 32, he tells us to be kind and other things like that. They're, they're normal things that we hear, just basic morality. And actually, if we're being honest, just about every world religion tells you those exact same things. I mean, you, you go and study Hinduism and Gandhi and you'll see very similar types of morality. You, Listen to the teachings of Muhammad from Islam and you'll hear the similar types of moral statements about what we ought to do and how we ought to live and how we ought to treat people. As a matter of fact, if you go down to the local public pool and you look at the list of rules that are posted there, you're probably going to see something similar, even on a playground. And at some point, you may begin to say, see, all religions are basically the same. I mean... Ultimately, the point of every one of them is just be good, be a good person, treat people in a nice way. It doesn't really matter what brand name you put on that. We just need to follow and ultimately we'll get the same product or the same result. And so some of you, even as Christians, may have even thought or heard or been tempted to think that yeah the point of religion is to turn bad people into good people and so maybe just maybe it affects the way we do outreach and you think well okay i've got this hindu friend and and he's like the nicest guy that i know and and he already does all of these things that we're trying to teach our kids to do and telling people in the church to do why do i need to share with him about christianity when ultimately the goal is really to Turn a bad person into a good person. He's really not that bad of a person. Or maybe you know a Muslim or someone else from another religion and you think they really already practice these same things we're trying to encourage them to do. Maybe they're even an atheist and they don't have any particular religious affiliation and yet they're just nice, good people. I mean, if they're already good, what's the point of trying to share my beliefs with them when really the only we're striving for is to turn bad people into good people well here's really the question is there anything distinctive about christianity or our christian moral teaching or is it just all the same like everyone else when we're talking about walking in purity i mean really isn't that what everybody is striving for well i want to walk through this passage of scripture with you today and and i want you to see some things that are very distinctive some things that are fundamentally different about christianity and about just moralism or legalism or just following a moral code now to do that we're going to start in verse 17 and paul's going to give us eight verses here kind of at the beginning uh, essentially a theology lesson a summary of what we talked about back in Chapters 1 and 2. And what we're reminded of here is that everything Paul is talking about is based upon what we believe. And what we believe will affect how we behave. Our theology will affect our practice. And so you need to remember that as we're sort of walking through this together because our belief in Christ changes everything. So think of your own personal testimony as we walk through this. Our personal testimony is just basically what were you like before Christ? How did you come to faith in Christ? And what has your life been like since you've been following Christ? And that's really kind of how Paul lays this out. So, first of all, here's what I want us to do remember your life before Christ. Think back to what you were like beforehand. And Paul introduces us to that in verses 17 through 19. Now, this I say and testify. In the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that's important to remember when thinking about trying to reach a lost world, but it's also important to remember that that's where we came from our life before christ was this life and so what is he telling us he's reminding us that for us he's saying don't go back to your old life this is the life that is lived in the world of those who are separated from god and it's really kind of a struggle sometimes to not slip back into that old way of living, but it's also a great reminder of what Christ has saved you from. Now, Beth and I have been on several trips overseas, and uh, we love to travel. We love to travel for mission trips. We love to travel for pleasure. We like sightseeing. We just like visiting places. Uh, but there's one part of traveling long distances overseas that kind of makes traveling difficult. Not impossible, but at least difficult, and that is jet lag. Jet lag is a really kind of hard thing to get over those first few days. It doesn't matter whether you're going to the destination or you're returning from the destination. It makes it a little bit uncomfortable and difficult. When you travel across the ocean, everything is in a different time zone. And then, more than likely, you slept or at least tried to sleep or watched movies or whatever on this long plane ride over across the ocean and so by the time you get there, your internal clock is off. You're in a different time zone. Your sleep patterns are messed up. And, and, and ultimately, one time somebody, maybe even somebody in the church here, told me that it really takes you one day of sleeping, 12 hours to reset your body so you wake up and you can get back on schedule. But inevitably, when you get home after the trip, you have to go back to your life. But you're still on the trip's schedule. You you can't live your life here normally on your schedule from your previous destination because you're used to being up when it's nighttime here. And unless your job requires that, ultimately being awake at night and asleep during the day probably won't work with your normal life here. And at some point, you have to just reset and put off that old schedule and now use the new schedule for your life here or things are never going to work out well that's part of the problem when we're thinking about our old life this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. you need to be reset and we'll get to how that happens here in just a moment but that's ultimately what we were like before Christ living a schedule that is not compatible with the life that Christ has saved us for now here's the interesting thing because everybody out in the world that is lost and destined For an eternity separated from God is living on the same schedule and they think you ought to be on that same schedule as well. So Paul says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words... There's nothing wrong with you as a follower of Christ. What's wrong is with those who have been separated from Christ because of their sin and not redeemed because they haven't come face to face with Jesus Christ yet. And so they're different and they expect you to be different as well. As well, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. He doesn't go to an exhaustive list here, just gives us categories of this sinful deceitful world. So don't be deceived. By a sinful world. Just because they're saying. Hey you ought to be like us. Christ has delivered you from that. That's who you used to be. That's not who you are anymore. Now not everyone will receive. And believe the gospel. Some of them will hear the message. And they will reject the message. But when he talks here about the hardness of heart. It's interesting. I heard someone say one time. That, that the sun hardens the clay just as it softens the wax there's nothing different about the sun's rays but it is the material upon which it falls that determines whether or not it is hardened like clay or softened like wax and here's the difference the difference is whether or not christ has prepared our heart to be softened by the gospel or whether or not we have rejected that and now the same gospel hardens our hearts. There are plenty of people out there that have heard it and yet they have said, that's not for me. Their hearts have been hardened and then there are others that have heard it and said, I want to know more. And the more they learn about Christ, the more their hearts begin to melt. But here's the thing, for those of you that have heard the gospel and believed, then You need to remember your salvation through Christ. Remember your life before Christ. But let's take a moment and reflect upon our salvation through Christ. He says in verse 20, But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Here's some realities of what has happened since we have been saved through Christ. He saved you from corruption and from deceit. That's what he says. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt and Through deceitful desires. He has saved you from that corruption and that deceit that once reigned supreme, just like it does in the world today, and the sinful desires that they expect you to line up with, but you're different. And you're not different because somebody told you to act different. You're different because of what Jesus Christ is doing on the inside of you because of your interaction with the gospel and the fact that like wax, it is melting before him it really does matter why you do what you do not just that you do the right things but why because you can do the right things and still be full of corruption and be deceived once upon a time there was a king who ruled over everything in his particular land and one day a a gardener a farmer who grew this enormous carrot took it to the king and said my lord This is the greatest carrot that I have ever grown in my garden. And I will never grow another one that will be this fit for a king. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you as my king. The king was touched and he could actually tell and discern the heart of this man. And as the man turned to go, the king says, wait a second. You are clearly a good steward of the earth that belongs to you and I want to give you a bigger plot of land so that you can have it freely as a gift to garden it all the same way you have managed what you have I mean the gardener was just amazed and shocked and of course delighted to run home tell his entire family to rejoice in the new responsibility that the king had given to him for even greater stewardship of The land but there was a nobleman who was standing by who saw the whole thing happen and he said there's absolutely no way that the king would withhold something so great from someone who brought him something better if this is what he'd do for someone who just brought him a carrot so the next day the nobleman came before the king and and he was leading this beautiful handsome black stallion he bowed low and said my lord I breed horses and this is the greatest horse that I've ever bred or will ever breed so I wanted to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you as my king verbatim what the farmer had said but the king could tell by listening to him that no you saw what happened with the farmer and with the carrot and you're not bringing this horse to me You're just bringing this horse for your benefit. So he thanked him. He took the horse and he dismissed him. Well, it left the nobleman perplexed. Why? Is it different for me? Well, it's different for you because you didn't do this for the king. You did this for yourself. For your own benefit. Here's the reality. That's the way most religion is. That's the way it works. It is done entirely for self-interest if if you're in a religion that is a works-based salvation where you have to do more good than you do bad in order to inherit eternity of salvation and paradise then you will strive to do good for your own self-interest if your recognition and your raising up the positions of prowess and authority within that religion are dependent upon you doing more good works than doing bad then ultimately you will do whatever it takes in order for you to receive that recognition even if it means setting aside some bad things and doing some good things why do you do what you do why are you striving to accomplish the things that you're striving to accomplish do you give to god because you love god or do you give to god so that god will reward you this is the problem with religion but that is corruption and deceit. And God has saved you from that. And he has saved you for righteousness and holiness. God is after true righteousness and holiness in your life and to be renewed verse 23 in the spirit of your minds and to put on the self the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. People, this is what God is longing for. People who seek true righteousness and holiness people who do righteousness for the same reasons that God does righteousness see where it says there in verse 24 that you were created after the likeness of God our our desires ought to be more and more like his God does righteousness not because someone's making him nobody can make God do righteousness or anything not because it's a means to an end God's not doing righteousness because he's hoping to accomplish something. God does righteousness because it is his nature. Because he loves righteousness and holiness. It's a part of his character. And that really is what we are to become like. That righteousness and holiness and purity and morality are a part of our nature because of our love first and foremost for the God who has made us in his image. Is that you? Have you noticed a difference in your life since you came to faith in Christ? Because if you have, then here's the last thing. Remember your purpose in Christ. Verse 25-32 through is that list of moral things that we are to do that may look on the surface like every other world religion, but there's a lot more going on here because it's really not about religion. It's always been about relationship. Verse 25, Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, throughout this passage of Scripture, just like throughout the entire book of Ephesians, clearly Paul is continuing his Trinitarian theme Through Ephesians, we see Jesus Christ the Son at work, the Holy Spirit at work, and God the Father at work constantly throughout all of this. Interchangeably, they are all working together. And so it should not surprise us that even as we think about morality, especially as as it pertains to unity within the church, do not forget that Ephesians chapter 4 begins with a call to unity in Christ's church. Here's a reminder, you belong to the body of Christ. Notice every one of these commands here in verses 25 through 29 have to do with how it affects other people. See, you don't do these things because of what it does for you. You do these things because of God's glory and how it affects other people. So, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Here we go. For we are members one of another. Your speech affects other believers. Your neighbors even the lost verse 26 be angry do not sin he actually doesn't say don't be angry he's just simply saying when you're angry and even jesus was angry but when you're angry don't sin don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil then he says let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands but notice this so that he may have something to share with anyone in need not about you about how it affects others let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for building up who others not you as it fits the occasion that he may give that it may give grace to those who hear this is the call that he is calling us to you belong to the body of christ and your morality your actions the way you walk and talk and think and even your motivations really shouldn't be about how it builds you up it ought to be about how it brings glory to God and how it builds up the church so that we might be unified in reaching the lost together but also when you don't then you're reminded of the fact that actually that grieves the Holy Spirit which is important because you are sealed by the Holy Spirit verse 30 and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption now how would we grieve the Holy Spirit of God by doing the opposite of what he just told us to do by putting ourselves first instead of putting others first let your intent be to build up not to tear down too many times we spend our lives tearing other people down he just told us in in the first 16 verses of chapter 4 how important it is to cultivate unity within the church well it grieves the Holy Spirit of God when your desire is to cause division when you're more interested in your own self interests and self and the self awareness that you have doesn't even show you that you're absorbed with yourself and that you're selfish and that your motivation is about you and even the things you do for God are about how you can be recognized for it and receive a reward and all of those things that grieves the Spirit of God God's Spirit wants and desires and is, is convicting us and leading us and guiding us to be more and more like God who does these things, these things that are good, that are moral, and that everybody in the world agrees are the things we ought to do. He does these things because that's who he is. And the more we love him and the more we know him and the more we want to be like him, the more those things will rise to the top in our life. And when that happens, when we surrender to Christ, and when Christ has done a great work in us, then all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander will be put away, along with all malice. We will be able to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven us. You are forgiven by the Father. And if nothing else in your life, motivates you to honor him with your life this should if god has forgiven you of all of your failures then why in the world would you not want to stay away from the things that mark who you once were your old self and why would you not want to run to your new self that you have in christ jesus I mean, that's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. It's not just about you becoming a better person. Everything in our life tells us don't be a bad person, be a good person. But that's not what Christianity is all about. The Gospel motivates us differently. It creates in our hearts a love of truth and a love of our Father. Like God, whom we've been made in the image of, we are to love truth. God doesn't tell the truth because somebody's going to punish Him. If He doesn't, He tells the truth because He loves the truth. In His core, that's who He is. Now you might be able to get people to change their behavior strictly by moralism or legalism, but you can't really change them. And their hearts will never change. I mean, you can't make a plant come alive by hanging flowers on it. That's not the way that works. We, we've got a flower bed out in the front of our house. It's got a crepe myrtle in the middle. It's got a bunch of flowers around the outside. And some of those flowers are knockdown roses. And so uh, those roses right this second are being choked out by just tons of weeds that are growing up in that flower garden. And, you know, I hate weeds. I mean, they're they're ugly, they don't look good, and in many instances, they choke out the flowers that you've planted there that you want to look pretty. Now, I don't hate them as much as Beth hates them, but I do hate them. And the way I see it, there's two ways to fix this weed problem in this garden. That Number one, you can take the time, the tedious time of bending down and pulling up those weeds, weed by weed, even in between the flowers and pulling up all the weeds throughout the flower garden, or... You can just get some Roundup or other stronger weed killer and you can just nuke the weeds. And, and actually, that's what I prefer to do. Here's the problem with nuking the weeds. If you nuke the weeds, then inevitably you're going to hit some of the flowers as well. And just like that poison kills the weeds, it also tends to kill the flowers as well. And here's the thing. Beth will not be happy with me if I kill her flowers while i'm trying to rid the weeds rid the garden of the weeds so my contingency plan has been to go and buy a dozen roses from sam's and to come back and after i kill all these weeds then i can take those roses and i can staple those roses onto those rose bushes that are in that garden and then when she comes out she'll see beautiful roses All on these rose bushes that have now died because I have killed them with the poison that I killed the weeds with. But it's okay because now those beautiful flowers are stapled to it. Now for those of you that are actually gardeners, you're sort of mortified right now. And for those of you that aren't gardeners, you're thinking that's not a bad plan. But ultimately we all kind of know the dirty secret behind it. Eventually those roses are also going to die. What am I going to go get roses every week and try to keep stapling on there? I mean, it's really difficult to keep up that facade of something living when it's actually dead. But, but here's the truth. Most of the techniques that are used to change us are just rose stapling techniques. It's just superficial moralism. It's just strict legalism. Moralism is what is preached in every religion in the world. Unfortunately, it is also what is, if not preached, at least practically applied in many of the churches around the world as well. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you grew up in churches and maybe in families where you heard real Christians don't watch certain movies. Real Christians don't say certain words. Real Christians don't drink certain beverages. Real Christians don't vote for certain political parties. Real Christians don't listen to certain music. All of these things, external behavior, matters more than our internal disposition. Now, I'm not saying you can go out and do whatever you want to. But if your motivation for doing those things or other things is so that you can look like a good person, so that you can look like a good Christian and people will think you've got it all together, then that is nothing more than public theater. It is not who you really are. Where do you learn to love and to delight in God? That only comes through the gospel. See, the gospel is what has the power to take us from our old self and to transform us into the new creation in Christ. The the gospel is why we always preach every week about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. It's why we keep coming back to it. Maybe you've come to College Road before and you're like, why does he keep talking about Jesus? Why does he keep talking about his death, burial, and resurrection? Why does he keep talking about the forgiveness of sins? Because if we miss this... Nothing else we do will matter and will be like every other religion in the world. We will simply be calling for people to try to be better. But many of us grew up in churches where we were taught that the gospel was simply the entry into Christianity and that after that, good luck, just try to be good. Don't do bad things, don't miss opportunities to do good things. You pray a prayer, you begin your relationship with God. And then, good luck. But that's not what the Gospel is. The Gospel, as we've mentioned before, is not the diving board into the Christian life. It is the pool. Everything we need for Christian, godly, righteous living is because of what the Gospel continues to do in our lives, and through our lives. It's not just how you start off with God. It's how you grow deep with God. It doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin in the past and take us to heaven in the future. It empowers us to say no to the temptation that rears its ugly head in our life every day. You have been saved by grace through faith. It is not your work so that you might boast. No, you've been saved by grace through faith, but you must live by grace through faith. And your works are not about you to boast. It's not about your reward. It's not about self-interest. Your reward is bringing glory and honor to God. Because you love Him. And you're motivated by your love for Him. And you want to build up His church. And your desire is not about yourself, but it's about laying your life on the line for the glory of God, for the building up of the church and so that the lost might hear that Jesus says. Do you remember what you were like before you met Jesus? Do you remember what happened when you believed and you surrendered your life to Christ? What's your life been like since that moment? Did your life change at all? I mean, if ultimately your life is nothing but a bunch of stapled flowers to a dead tree, then more than likely today, you need Jesus. Do you want to do it? Do you want your life to change? then today is a day where you need to surrender to Him. Or maybe for some of us that have, today's a day to return to Him. I want to pray for us here in just a second, but here's what I want you to think about. Is my life just a series of rules that I'm trying to obey that I find over and over again that I'm not good enough to to obey? Or is my life about a God who has changed me, who has filled me with his love for righteousness and holiness, who gives me a desire to want to follow him and to long for him and to seek after him and to, and to do the things that he's called me to do to find purpose. Is the purity in my life a work of God's grace or just me striving to be good? Because if it's you striving to be good, you're going to fail. I'm going to fail. We're going to fail. This whole thing together, even the church is going to fall apart. But if we're unified around one God, one Father, one Gospel, one Savior, one, one Spirit, in one body, then there's nothing God can accomplish. So for you, today, have you surrendered your life to Christ? If not, why not today? If you have, then run back to Him. Let's pray together. Father thank you for each person that is watching thank you for the opportunity to be reminded from your word of what we used to be before we came to faith in christ of that moment when we believed and how it transformed our life and what our life looks like since then and even though sometimes we can find things to be embarrassed about or to feel guilty about god we are reminded that we're not what we are because of our goodness we are what we are because of your grace And today we lean into that grace and we say through faith, God, we can't do it without you. If there are those that are here or watching today, I pray that you would draw them to you, that they would respond to the gospel, that they would surrender their lives, and that today would be a day of transformation as you help us to walk in purity as your people for your glory, to build your church and to reach the lost. In Jesus name we pray, amen.